Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, everything voters need to know heading into the November 3rd election, a winter carnival preview, and a look back at the legacy of Minnesota icon Sid Hartman from his friend and colleague Patrick Royce. But first... The race for president and for U.S. Senate appears to be tightening in Minnesota. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with a recap of the week's major political news. Scott, early in the week, MinPost released their poll, which found 49% of likely Minnesota voters support Democrat Joe Biden, 44% favor Republican incumbent Donald Trump, and that is within that poll's margin of error. The poll also found 48% of likely voters favor incumbent Democratic Senator Tina Smith, 44% support Republican challenger, former congressman and radio talk show host Jason Lewis. And later in the week, a KSTP Survey USA poll showed that U.S. Senate race in a virtual dead heat. Smith, 43%, Lewis, 42%. According to that survey, Smith's 11-point lead has largely evaporated since mid-September. Pollsters say one reason could be that she is losing support among women and suburban voters. We talked with Carleton College analyst Stephen Shear about that. Maybe the one that's a little more of an eye-opener first, and that's that she's losing ground among women. To Jason Lewis... To a a guy who uh, in, in back in in his radio career, whether that sticks now or not, you know, remains to be seen. But but he was saying some things that were less than complimentary about women. What, what what's the dynamic here? Um, well, I think what's happening is that people in the suburbs and women generally are uh, looking at this race and not really considering the previous career of Jason Lewis as heavily as they did before. I mean, he was a talk radio host, but it's been a while. And since that time, he's run and be uh, twice for Congress. He's been in Congress. Now he's running statewide. I think that a lot of those comments he made some years ago about women probably uh, don't have the staying power in 2020 that they did in earlier elections. So then it's more the... Republican stance versus the Democratic stance that plays into his gains in the suburbs? Yeah, I think so. I think you have to remember that Jason Lewis did represent a suburban district in the U.S. House and and did win in the second district of Minnesota. And so there is, uh, I think, some knowledge of uh, Jason Lewis in the suburbs and some support for him that probably wouldn't exist if he hadn't represented a suburban district before. That's Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear. Political shots this week in high-profile races for U.S. House. The group Minnesota Citizens Concerned for Life said Congressman Colin Peterson's radio ads incorrectly state that the 7th District Democrat is 100% pro-life. MCCL's Paul Stark points to Peterson's votes on overseas abortion providers and the conscience rights of health care workers and that Peterson backed Nancy Pelosi for House Speaker. By supporting Nancy Pelosi's control over the House, Colin Peterson is helping to thwart uh, pro-life progress in Congress. In a statement, Peterson responded, quote, I am pro-life. 
pointing to his co-sponsoring legislation to fight against abortion and calling on the Supreme Court to make decisions that uphold the sanctity of life. Peterson's Republican opponent, Michelle Fishbach, has strong ties to the pro-life movement. She has received endorsements from a number of groups. Democratic Congresswoman Angie Craig says a telephone survey finds nearly 75% of voters in the 2nd Congressional District are against Republican opponent Tyler Kistner's legal push to delay that election until next February. It's prompted by the September death of the Legal Marijuana Now Party's candidate. And Kistner says... What I'm fighting for is not delaying election. I'm fighting to ensure every voice is heard. Anyone would want this delayed to ensure that each party has an opportunity to get a candidate up so that their voice is heard in an election. Congresswoman Craig responds Kistner trails by nearly 20 percent in a recent poll and is prioritizing his political career over the people of Minnesota. Top Republican state lawmakers pledge this week if voters give them majorities in the Minnesota House and Senate in the upcoming election, they will safely reopen schools, including athletics, and one-size-fits-all restrictions on businesses and allow houses of worship to safely reopen. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. We're not saying that uh, the virus isn't serious, uh, but we are saying more and more of the science is showing that kids need to be in school, and the fact is that uh, it's not a super-spreader situation. Governor Tim Walz fired back. The idea that there's some magical thinking that says... We get rid of wearing masks, we get rid of capacities in businesses, we get rid of testing like this because this is what we have done, and we just simply hope it goes away. It's not a plan. The governor this week signed a $1.9 billion bonding bill, the largest ever in Minnesota history, as labor leaders looked on at a union hall in St. Paul. This is our time and our generation's investment in the future of Minnesota, the most robust bonding bill ever signed into Minnesota law. Jessica Lumen with the Minnesota State Building and Construction Trades Council says COVID has caused a slowdown in private construction investment. And when that happens, one of the things that we really have to count on is the public infrastructure investment stepping up to fill the gap to make sure that union construction workers can keep going to work. House Republicans, through four special sessions, refused to provide needed votes for a bonding bill, trying to force the governor to relinquish his COVID emergency powers. But in the fifth special session in mid-October, just weeks before the election, they relented. House Democrats then adjourned the special session, rankling some Senate Republicans. This is a no voice, no choice. And shame on the House of Representatives for going sine die so that we couldn't act like the legislature is supposed to. Breezy point Senator Kerry Rood, but Cottage Grove Democrat Carla Bigham blamed Republicans for partisanship. wonder how the public feels. No choice, no voice. Lack of transparency leads to this. But all that wrangling aside, lawmakers have, in time for the election, some bacon to bring home to their districts. Although some would call it pork. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Tim Veldy is a Minnesota farmer from Henley Falls and director on a rural electric co-op board. Rural electric co-ops were formed to provide electricity to rural Minnesota when no one else would do it and have now gone into trying to get broadband across rural Minnesota. Small businesses and students rely on it, especially now. 
When Congress put all that at risk with a tax law that ended up hurting rural communities, Senator Smith was the first person we went to. Senator Smith listened to us, understood our problem, crafted a bill and got it passed and signed into law with bipartisan support. Senator Smith was instrumental in saving economic development for rural Minnesota families. Senator Smith is great to work with. She wants to understand the problem. She wants to fix the problem. I'm Tina Smith, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Paid for by Tina Smith for Minnesota. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Election Day, believe it or not, is less than a week away. I spoke with Secretary of State Steve Simon to find out what Minnesotans need to know heading up to the big day. Yeah, my main message is, remember, there are three major ways of voting. Uh, One is in person on Election Day at your polling place. And if you don't know where that might be this year or if it's changed, you can go to mnvotes.org to find out. The second way to vote is to vote in person by absentee. So not on Election Day, but during business hours on a day leading up to Election Day. And it's typically not at your normal polling place. So again, go to that website to find out where to go. And then the third option which has uh, enjoyed tremendous popula- uh, popularity this year, is voting from home. Going to the website mnvotes.org and ordering the ballot to come to you at home. And that one's particularly easy this year because of a new rule in effect statewide that allows everyone to postmark their ballot as late as Election Day, November 3rd, as long as it arrives seven days later by November 10th. So even if you get it in the mail the day before, or I suppose the day of, and you vote it by November 3rd and pop it in the mail, you're still good to go. And uh, my understanding of it is that that's going to delay um, final results, obviously, since the count will be taking a little bit longer and uh, it'll go through November 10th. Tell me a little bit about what that's going to look like. Uh, On the face of it, Minnesotans might hear that and think, well, we're not going to know who won any of the elections until a week after the election. Is that the case? It's not the case. Uh, the first thing I want folks to know is that when they see that 100% of the ballots are not in by election night, as is the usual case, when they see that, just to know that that is very much by design. That's not an accident. That's not the result of someone screwing up. That's the design of the legislature this year and the courts, which have combined to change some of our normal rules because of the pandemic. So that's the way it's supposed to be. Second, in terms of knowing results, no, I strongly suspect and predict that we will know the vast majority of results and winners earlier rather than later, either on election night or shortly thereafter. And that's because we'll know how many ballots came in, obviously, but we'll also know how many ballots have yet to come in. We'll know the number of outstanding absentee ballots, and we're going to break it down by Minnesota State House District, which is a pretty granular level. And so we'll know, for example, in a particular legislative contest, if candidate A on election night is ahead by 500 votes. But if we also know that in that same district, there are a maximum of 300 outstanding absentee ballots that have not come in yet, that could even possibly come in, then mathematically, you and your colleagues in the news media can call that race. We know candidate A will win. Mathematically, there's no way she can lose. We won't know for a week by how much she's won, whether she's won by a lot or a little, but we'll know that she's won. And I think most contests will be like that, not of the day seven nail-biter variety where we won't know until November 10th. 
I know that we've talked in the past about the safety of mail-in votes, and you've been advocating for that for quite some time since we've been in this pandemic. Uh, how about in-person uh, polling safety and security? I know that the president a little while ago was encouraging uh, poll watchers to come and take a look at uh, what was happening in the precincts. Can folks feel safe going into their polling places on November 3rd? Yeah, there are two dimensions of safety. One is the issue that you just talked about. Minnesota law is really clear. It strictly limits people who aren't voters from being in the polling place. So every political party, major political party, is allowed only one, just one person in the polling place, not an army, not two, not ten, just one. And once they get there, their range is limited. They can't come within six feet of a voter. They can't talk to a voter. And any challenge that they might make to a voter's eligibility has to be in writing and based on personal knowledge. That's the exact phrase in the law, personal knowledge. It can't be a whim or a guess or a bad feeling or a hunch, personal knowledge. The second dimension of safety is the literal one about um, safety in terms of health. And fortunately, we have uh, a good experience in our statewide primary in August. We had a good uh, dress rehearsal or dry run, you might say. And we'll do for November 3rd what we did in August, which purchase to all 3,000 polling places, PPE and supplies, masks, hand sanitizers, pumps, wipes, and protocols that will guarantee safety, such as wiping down the polling surface regularly. One last thing I'd like to ask about. I know in the in the past couple elections, we've had uh, word about interference from bad actors trying to, uh, you know, sort of manipulate our election results. And it's it's been the case here in Minnesota where they tried. They didn't get anywhere with it. Uh, what are you seeing this year? Uh, cautious optimism. We're working very closely with intelligence authorities. I will shortly be receiving my final scheduled intelligence briefing from the federal intelligence authorities. And they have their eyes on it in a way that no one did in 2016. So I'm feeling very good about it. Our, our, our systems are strengthened and hardened um, uh, even more so now and, and much more than they were in 2016 when we even then successfully fended off any possible attacks. So I'm feeling good. There's never a 100% guarantee ever. No institution, Target, U.S. Bank, our office, no one can tell you 100%. But we are minimizing the risks every day, and I feel good about where we are. Very good, Mr. Secretary. Any final thoughts for voters? Uh, just to make sure that if they have any questions about their registration status or polling place or even who's on the ballot, you can go to mnvotes.org. That's a one-stop shop for so many different elections-related questions. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Secretary of State Steve Simon. Don't forget, Election Day is November 3rd. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The St. Paul Winter Carnival will not join the list of marquee events sidelined by COVID-19. MNN's J.W. Cox has the story. Scott, for Winter Carnival organizers, the show must go on became more than a cliche. It became their guidepost to make sure that the 135th edition of the Winter Staple actually happened in 2021. Deb Shaver, president and CEO of the St. Paul Festival and Heritage Foundation, says they needed to adjust their approach. We knew very early on with um, the current restrictions of 250 people in one place outdoors at one time was going to be really hard for us. I mean, there are times where we have five to 10,000 people together at a parade or in Rice Park enjoying an ice bar and music. So we really had to step back and say, what can we do this year 
and what can't we do? And we, we knew pretty early on that, you know, a parade is, is not in, in the future. So, um, we, we had to look, what else can we plan? And so, uh, you know, we've seen some drive-throughs pop up. And so that was uh, something that, you know, early on, I think, you know, by June, we were thinking that's something we could do. And then what other small events we can do to do socially distance? What other virtual events can we do to still have some fun? So I think we kind of did an element of all of it. Our uh, winter carnival drive-through ice and snow sculpture park, I think, will bring back the signature events that everyone loves. Were there moments along the way, Deb, that it seemed unlikely the carnival would happen in 2021? There was a point, you know, um, and it's it's not always just uh, COVID restrictions and parameters. It's financials and sponsors and things like that as well. So there's a lot that goes into event planning, um, and we it was a focus of our foundation to to bring something forward that we could do and have fun with our with our um, patrons, but also you know make it a safe and enjoyable event. Now that you're at this point in the preparation process, what's the excitement level for everyone involved? It's been a really challenging year for us and for everyone around the country. While virtual events will certainly be a staple this year, what are some of the ways people who choose to can experience the carnival in person still? We are going to do a pop-up event at Keg and Case, for example, a Frozen Family Fun Night. You can come out and watch a movie on their uh, screens on the outside of their building, enjoy a bonfire meet the local princesses, um, and kind of enjoy their ice bar and whatnot that they have going outside. Um, So that's one thing. We're working on um, a scavenger hunt um, that will all be done through an app on your phone, but you and your family can go out and and do the hunt around St. Paul and take photos and experience different attractions that are involved in that hunt. So there's different ways to kind of get out and about and enjoy winter, but still be social distanced and safe. When it comes to putting a twist on a signature event, is there one you're most excited for people to experience? I think the drive-through is going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, we're coming up with new ideas every day to add to the drive-through. Um, not only ice and snow, but we're working on some art pieces and a snowman making competition and and things like that. So I think as we move forward through November and December, you'll see more exciting things kind of pop up. Are there ways for people to still get involved with the 2021 Carnival aside from taking part in the events themselves? We always need volunteers, and that's not going to stop this year. We still need volunteers to help us at the drive-through, um, at virtual events, from home, doing mailings, whatnot. We're also looking for businesses and sponsors to reach out and help us support some of the new initiatives. You know, let's all work together and support each other and get through this season together. How do you want the 2021 Carnival to be remembered? It's going to be an iconic year for all of us. It's our 135th anniversary as well. So we hope that everyone's going to come out and enjoy and, and enjoy it in the new way. And I think, you know, some of this might be changes to the future as well. And how can you create creative new events um, in different circumstances and different ideas? Change is okay and change is good. And um, I'm excited to kind of see how everyone does this year. The 2021 Winter Carnival set for January 28th to February 7th. More information found online at wintercarnival.com. Scott, back to you. Thank you, JW. More Minnesota Matters after this. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B. Console her. Oh, sweetie. 
This is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C. Take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D. Help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Iconic sports writer and broadcaster Sid Hartman died last Sunday at 100 years of age, leaving behind a body of work that is unmatched in Minnesota sports. His longtime colleague at the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Patrick Royce, joined MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm to tell some of his favorite Sid stories. Pat Royce, in only the way Sid Hartman can do, there's nobody that would have shocked the world if you die at 100 years old. Still shocking news when we heard it, right? That was my immediate tweet on that, was when I heard it, that uh, uh, that I said, uh, you know, I almost grab, drove off the road. I heard it while I was in the car. And uh, who else could be 100 years, seven months, and cause us to uh, be alarmed? Uh, and, it's, it, you know, it's funny. I've talked to a lot of people who are saying they are sadder than they thought they'd be, you know, <laughs> after, after dealing with them all those years with his... Uh, uh, what would we say, uh, Mike? Uh, abrupt ways. Uh, you could, uh, you, uh, you, you didn't know you were going to miss him immediately, or uh, maybe even long term. But uh, it was, uh, you know, I think we all, in time, and when we get in this media business, come to appreciate characters, and there will never be another one like this guy. Nothing. I mean, we'll tell Sid stories forever, another hundred years. Uh, people that, that won't be around a hundred years from now will still be telling Sid stories, no doubt. I did see uh, one of your colleagues tweet out, I thought it was an interesting uh, uh, little nugget. In his very first column, he referenced somebody, I forget who it was. That person was uh, born in 1897 and at the time was only like 48 <laughs> years old when he uh, when he wrote his first column. And then within the last week, he, he had some blurb about a high schooler who was born in like 2002. So he's written about people born in three different centuries. Well, the one I always use is uh, he was selling newspapers and then sneaking into the stadium when Brock Odegersky played in 1929. Right. And I believe it was uh, Rodney Smith who broke a record of Broncos in 2017, and Sid was at the game. I, I believe games, it was yeah. Rodney. Yeah, Rodney Smith did something. I mean, he saw Bronco when the Gophers would hand Bronco the ball 20 times and go down the field, and uh, and he also covered Rodney Smith breaking some Bronco record. So uh, it, it was a pretty astounding. Yeah, no, no question about it. You've written several pieces this week, uh, an excellent obituary, and then a column uh, where I thought you hit the nail on the head. It was beautifully written, where everyone's saying, uh, you know, rest in peace, Sid, and your answer is no way Sid Hartman's going to rest in peace. No, one's wor- no one really <laughs> no. worked like him, right? No one really went about his business the way Sid did. 
And, you know, Sid not only wanted to control his message, he wanted to control the message from the entire Twin Cities media. That's hard work, man. That's hard work when you're when you're fighting every perceived uh, slight against the uh, home teams that you discover. And, uh, it, you know, uh, Mike, like I do, when, when people talk about Sid, you know, his hearing was gone for like, 20 years he wasn't worth a damn but his eyes were still unbelievable he had the ability i i've said he had the peripheral vision of an athlete he knew everything going on at every corner of the press box and if he saw three people corner walk walking over there kind of talking low he'd go over and interrupt it to see what the topic was same thing in a clubhouse or a locker room uh, you've seen him in action, man. He is an uh, he was an observant son of a gun. I'll yeah, tell you that. and covered ground. I mean, he you know even at ninety, he was he was uh, you know he could uh, you know cover some ground up steps, down steps. My first year here as a full time guy was two thousand six, and I, I was stunned that Sid was going up and down the Metrodome steps from the press box down to the locker room. I'm like, I, I guess he was probably eighty five or eighty six at that point. Um, I mean, I, I I'm not in great shape, but it it tired me out and here's Sid's going up and down those steps it was incredible I I really believe if people don't think walking is good enough exercise to uh to help you out just uh follow Sid around he was a great walker until uh you know he got to be 90 I uh, you know that his his daughter Chris uh uh told the story and for the book and then I use it in the open in the obit that uh, when her kids were smaller uh, they'd Sid would park the car, and then she'd have to kind of get in the back and get the kids out of the car and get them ready. And she'd look up, and Sid would be two blocks down the street. <laughs> she'd be yelling, "Sid, come back, Sid!" Yeah, you know? that, that was... and I it, and I believe it. I mean, he was uh, he was the fastest walker I ever saw because he was always in a hurry to get someplace. Even if he had no place to go, he was in a hurry to get there, and he, rarely did he have no place to go. Yeah, and that that was the thing uh, is that he would now in later years he had a driver who with a whole other story we could yes. do. Uh, one day the driver fell asleep uh-huh. during the Jerry Kill news conference, which is a whole other uh, fun story to talk about. <laughs> but um, but uh, he you know he drove really what until he was probably ninety ninety two, and he would do things like I'd be on campus doing something in the middle of the summer, nothing's going on, I don't remember even why I'm there, and I look and here's Sid coming down the hallway i'm like what's he doing here uh, just making his rounds and that's what he'd do he'd get in his car and he'd drive and he'd stop at the vikings and eden prairie he'd drive to campus he'd figure out how uh, he could get something from the wolves and every single day he would drive around town trying to get a nugget that nobody else could get and park anywhere he wanted to uh one of my favorite stories is that uh my uh, stepson ryan was working for the 3m uh, the, the the senior 3M and Sid was coming out there on a Sunday to do his morning radio show and looking to see where to park and they Cadillac was one of their sponsors and they had like three Cadillacs up on the side of a hill there <laughs> and uh, and Sid goes down this walking path you know people diving out of the way he goes down this walking path and drives like halfway up the side of the hill and puts his Cadillac there, throws the keys to somebody, and and somebody came to my stepson and said, hey, that car's up on a hill up there. <laughs> he had to go move the car. I mean, it was 
was uh, the rules did not apply to the, the great man. That's for sure. It is amazing, no doubt about <laughs> it. Well, um, we'll uh, we'll let you go. We appreciate your time and uh, sharing some of your memories of of Sid Hartman, a hundred years old. He uh-huh. made it to a hundred, almost a hundred and one, um, and the stories yeah. will go on forever. All right, Mike. All yeah. right. Yep. Thanks, Pat. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. That's Star Tribune sports writer Patrick Royce and Eminem sports director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.